Good morning. Uh, today's passage is from John 3, oh, so 1 John 3, 11, verses 11 to 24. Um, if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 1227, or else you'll no doubt find it on your phone. Um, before I read, I'll pray. Father God, we pray that through hearing your words spoken and from Josh's preaching, that you would change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not con condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Pastor Josh. Thanks, Pete. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Josh, and I work for Christchurch. Um, and we are going to be looking at that very passage, so please don't put it away. Um, and before I uh, speak on that, um, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we um, pray that, as you say at the end of that passage, that uh, your spirit in us works and testifies to us and we pray that we will hear your spirit speak as he's already inspired this word and we pray that this word will be clear um, and that we will we will come to be transformed by hearing him this morning we pray in jesus name amen um well uh, about a year ago i did a first aid course and i don't know if any of you have done um, a first aid course i i imagine for some of you this might be familiar feeling. Um, it's the kind of thing you might have to do for work one day or in order to be, to be able to do something else. Um, and it's just a day where you, you go away and somebody comes in from the outside and they um, teach you all the basics of looking after people when there are accidents. And one of the really useful 
things about a first aid training course is that they teach you how to identify what's going on when a person is unwell. Um, they say, this is how you know when a person is, say, going into shock. If they've got cold, clammy skin, they're kind of gray, white kind of color, they're, they're sweating. Or this is how you know that the person who's just said they've got a bang on the head is going, has got concussion. Because in those cases, there's something that is going on inside of a person that if you haven't been a, a training course, you won't know what's going on inside that person. So it's really useful that you've been on the training course and they teach you this is how you know what's going on on the inside so that you can respond appropriately. Well, this passage that Pete read for us in 1 John has got quite a lot of this is how you know in it. But I don't know if you noticed when it was read, the perceptive among you might have noticed that that was not a passage about first aid. John's this is how you knows are John giving his readers the, the this is how you know, this is what to expect on the outside when a person has got something going on in the in, the, on the inside, when they've got God doing something on the inside. And I think this is going to be really useful to us to open up this passage this morning for, for two reasons. The first one is I do think we've got a lot of voices around us that we tend to listen to, um, and it could be, say, a preacher online, or it could be a best-selling book, or it could be a Christian podcast, or it might just be something somebody tells you in your connect group. But we've got lots of voices that tell us things that we pick up that might sound like great ways of Christ living the Christian life, uh, things that might um, really speak deep to us or, or something that connects with what our world is saying, something that sounds convenient or something that sounds deep or something that sounds woke. We get to hear lots of ways about living the Christian life, but John wants you to be able, from this passage, to be able to spot whether what is being taught you about the outside really comes from somebody with God on the inside. And the second reason I think this is going to be useful for us to open up is because I think often we are not even sure what's going on in the inside of us ourselves. I think we can lack assurance quite often. I think there's plenty of times in our own thought life or our actions, a thing we do, that, that, that can really persuade us to think that, well, I'm not too sure if I really am a Christian. And again, John is going to say in this passage, I really want you to be able to say, I know I am a Christian. I know what is going on inside of me, and this is how I know. Because this passage gives us the outward kind of symptoms, if you like, although they're not symptoms because it's not about an illness, but the outward outworkings of what it looks like when God is on the inside so that you can spot anyone who's leading you astray, so that you know how to recognize God working in you, and so that you can set your hearts at rest and know that God really is working in you. Those three things, and actually there's three sections in the passage that correspond to those three things, and each one comes with a, a kind of a symptom, if you like, um, an outworking that we're going to see on the outside that demonstrates God is working on the inside. We see that when God is working on the inside, you experience a loss of hate, a wide open heart, and recurring assurance. So we're going to look at the first one, those verses 11 to 15, when God's life is in you, you experience a loss of hate. Starting in verse 11, um, verse 11, it's interesting, it goes off 
seems a little bit wayward quite early on. Verse 11, I think, sounds good. And verse 12 gives us a curveball. So, verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. By the way, when John, John often says the beginning, normally he means something that Jesus has taught or something he's told them about Jesus' life on earth. So this is a message you heard from, that Jesus said, we should love one another. I like that. Do you like that? Yeah, good. Verse 12, okay, so do not be like Cain who murdered his brother. <laughs> well, I don't know who this is to. <laughs> John, I'm, I'm not really planning on being like Cain. In fact, I don't really know a church who thinks that that would be normal Christian behavior for Christians to go and murder other Christians. Um, but let me illustrate what I think John is doing here. Does anyone remember, um, does anyone remember those back, back in the olden days, years and years and years ago, with those ancient technology of DVDs? I mean, who uses DVDs anymore, you know? We've got, we've got streaming, we've got Netflix. Who uses DVDs? Well, do you remember with DVDs? You used to get your DVD, and you used to pop it in your DVD machine. And before the menu came up, before you got to watch your film, um, there was a message that came up, and hopefully it'll be a bit like what you see on the screen. There you go. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? You wouldn't steal a car. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't steal a handbag. No, no, none of us here have stolen a car. None of us here have stolen a handbag. We don't do that kind of thing. But the point of that message is to say, but did you know that when you do that little thing that is just like watching a pirated, a copied DVD, did you know that that is actually every bit as illegal and you're committing the same crime. When you do something that seems to you to be quite small, it's, it's not that important, the people around you are all doing it, and it doesn't really seem to have any consequences. There's no, some people think it's a, the victimless crime of piracy. But that little um, adverty thing is saying, no, the stakes are higher than that. And I think that John is using a similar kind of um, idea, he follows Jesus' teaching where Jesus said to his followers, I know you wouldn't steal a car or I know you wouldn't murder. You know it's written, do not murder. You know that. You, you guys that know not to murder. But Jesus taught that, did you know though, the heart inside somebody that prompts their hands to kill looks the same on the inside as, the, as a heart that hates. And a heart that hates somebody, well, that should actually be quite alien to somebody who's got eternal life. Just like the doctor who knows what's going on inside a healthy person, John knows that inside a follower of Jesus, there's been something going on. He says there's been a work, verse 14, that has brought them from death to life. And actually, that's the very distinguishing mark of what makes someone a Christian, is that there's somebody who says, I used to have my back turned on God. And the Bible says the only place that leads to is death. So I used to be turned towards death, forever miserable and painful alienation from God. That's where I was going. That's what I had. But a Christian is someone who says, well, what makes me a Christian, though, is that Jesus died for me 
and he brings me close. He closes up that separation between me and God. He brings me into the very life of God. Now there is eternal life. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who's been brought from death to life. And John says in verse 14, well, can't you see that if you've passed from death to life, you're being in fellowship with God and being in fellowship with one another. And so you start to love one another. And so it just can't be possible for somebody to be on that trajectory, someone to be moving in that way from death to life, being together in eternal life with God. It can't be possible that that person is fostering hate inside. Because on the inside, a heart that hates is the same as a heart that that brings death. But we've passed from death to life. So what's going on inside you if you're a Christian is that you are in God's eternal life. And what's going on then on the outside is that you grow more and more into love, loving fellowship with others. But John is saying here that if there is somebody who isn't loving Christians, then surely, verse 14, he says that person remains actually on the inside while they've stayed in death. I think putting it like that sounds obvious. I hope that's been clear to you. I mean, maybe I haven't put it in an obvious way. But if you've, if you've followed me, you probably think that does make sense, and I agree with that, and, and that probably is straightforward. We've, been passed, we've passed from death to life, so we, we don't want to hate people. But you know what? I don't think we always believe that that is true. Because I don't think it's hard to find Christians who say something like this. You, don't, you can love Jesus, but you don't have to love other Christians. If you've ever been taught that, yeah, we we can love God because he loves you and he wants what's best for you and he loves you just as you are. And so, well, you should just love yourself as you are and you should want what's best for you as well. And so you don't really need to concern yourself with what others need. Well, if you've been told that, well, John says that's not from God. What is inside that kind of heart is not somebody who's in life, but somebody who's remained in death. We hear that kind of thing in fairly palatable ways, though. We hear something like, don't be around people that bring you down. Or, if they don't add to your happiness, you don't need them. Or, you're not responsible for other people's happiness. It's just your own. That's who you've got to look after. But all those things are saying that love for other people is just optional. And John says that's a lie. John says love for other people is inevitable. And John, it's interesting, John talks about love and hate, but he doesn't ever talk about something in between. You might be thinking, well, I I guess I don't hate other people, other Christians, but I don't know how much I love them. But John doesn't think there's anything in between, and I think there's real godly wisdom in noting that as well. Because I doubt that you ever find people who teach that type of thing where um, you don't love other other Christians. You don't ever find the best-selling writers or YouTube preachers, um, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, people saying, hey, you should hate other Christians. They don't say you should hate them, but the message is still out there that you don't have to love them. And John doesn't have a category for that. He's talking either in life or in death. You're either in life or you're in death. And we know that there's no category in between those. And that makes us realize that when 
that hating someone, according to what John is saying, hating someone doesn't have to be some like angry, burning feeling inside you. Hate is just when you'd rather that person didn't exist. They're in your life, but you don't want them in your life. You can see how that is kind of murdering them. They're in your life, but you don't want them in your life. And so you can treat the world as if, as if they're not in the world. So you just don't turn up if you know they'll be there. You avoid them. You make sure that they don't leave a mark on your life. You keep yourself indifferent to their highs and their lows. You don't let their mess spill over into the life you're wanting to make for yourself. So hate comes in more subtle forms. But I want you to notice that that John is not saying this so that I can stand here as a preacher and shout at you as a congregation and tell you off for all the ways that you are hating. John is saying that if anyone says to you that you can be a Christian and treat other people like that, well, I want you to know that anyone who does not love remains in death. That anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is about who you're going to listen to. This is about how what you, what you think should be normal in a Christian life. But I want you to see that John says, inside you, we know that we've passed from death to life. And I want you to see that love is therefore not optional. But it is inevitable. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. And, you know, I do see that. I see that all the time in growing Christians, in people at Christchurch Liverpool. I see that that happens. And I want you to know, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. I know how it happens because, well, because I know what love is. And we need to know what love is, really. If love is inside us... Well, the second thing we're going to see is that love will present itself in the symptom, the outworking of a wide open heart. A wide open heart. Look at, with me at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And there's that thing again where what is going on presents... So what is going on inside presents on the outside. And here, what's going on inside is that John says, we've been recipients of love. That's what characterizes you today. You are loved. You are the recipients of an amazing love. And so we would just expect that to be characteristic of the way we deal with one another. This is how we know what our lives will look like. We've seen it in Jesus And what we've seen in Jesus will be part of us. It works like this. I am so, so grateful. Um, I grew up in a a lovely, loving home. So whenever I was sad, my parents gave me a cuddle. Whenever I was sick, they looked after me. Whenever I was naughty, I got disciplined. But when everything was well, I got encouraged. And all the time, I got affection. I've been loved. But now, now I've got two little ones. How do you think I behave towards them? Well, of course, when they're sad, I give them a cuddle. 
When they are sick, I look after them. When they're naughty, I discipline them. But I want to encourage them. And I want to be affectionate towards them. And that happens because I know what love is. Because I've had it done to me. But here's the wonderful thing about that. And why this illustration works is because I'm not doing that towards my children because there's this kind of a checklist that I've been shown between the ages of, you know, one and 18. I've got this list of things that were done to me. So I'm kind of checking them off by doing them to another person. I'm not trying to copy some standard of parenting that I've been shown. It's just in me. Because here's the thing. When I love my kids, I am just being the me that being loved has made me. And even more than that, says John, he says, we know a greater love. Not everyone will have had my experience, but actually, even if you've had my experience, there is a greater love. Because every Christian has encountered not the love of a good but not perfect parent, but we know the love that stooped down from glory into shame. The infinite that took on the confines of humanity. We know that the eternally happy one voluntarily went through despair. We know the love that made the hands that put stars into space bear nails that pierced him to a cross. We know the love that said, I would die so that you can taste eternal life with the Father. And we know the love that arranged the world so that that would happen. We know that love. And that love makes us into people who love loving like that. Well, Jesus took on our shame. Well, that means that there's nobody the church can close its doors to, no matter what the stigma or scandal or shame of accepting them. We know that Jesus laid down his life, and that means for a Christian, there's nothing so precious that you can't give away. And I want you to know that, by the way, if you are here, but you wouldn't say that you believe in or trust in Jesus, I'm saying here that you should expect to see in us that sort of self-giving love that comes from being loved by Jesus. And you should expect that, not because you've come into this church and we are all these great loving people, but because we have encountered a changing love, a love that makes us something different, a love that makes us new. But if you've never trusted in Jesus or believed in him, I do hope that as I've said that, you've also seen something in Jesus' love that would attract you to it. Something that makes you want to actually taste that too. Because he laid down his life for you if you'll trust him. And so it is that John says that Jesus' self-giving love is in believers and it comes out of believers. So just like what we said earlier, if there's anyone who's leading you in a, into a Christian life where that love is just not needed, it's not part of it, well, then how could you possibly imagine that that is Jesus loving them? Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, well, you know, don't you? You know that the love of God can't be in that person. You know not to copy that person. How can the love of God be in that person? That's not who you, who you imitate. That's not who you be like. 
There's a translation. Um, you might have a different English translation that doesn't say the word pity, but says closes his heart against him. And I think that's a really great picture. We know love, says John. If we know love, our hearts are wide open to others who are in our church who are in need. And if somebody you see has a closed heart towards somebody who Jesus has opened his heart to, well, you know that that's not a way of life that comes from Jesus, and you know that is not a person to be like. We, we open our hearts and lay down our lives for each other. As we do that practically, there is the problem that it's not usually a case of actually dying for one another. And so because we don't get to actually die for one another, then we kind of often reduce it then to, to words. I mean, what am I meant to do? We ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. What's going to happen over coffee then? Oh, dear. Uh, so but we think, well, no, that, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. And so we reduce it to, to words. But John encourages us in verse 18 yeah, maybe we don't get to die for each other, but it's not lip service either. He says, we have wide open hearts. So let's make that speech true and put Jesus' love into action. We, love, we do love, so let's do it. Let's do it with our hands. I love it. John doesn't want to use this passage to unsettle anyone with a harsh challenge that you're not loving someone i'm not going to send you away with more things to do towards other people he says dear children dear children verse 18 dear children you are loved so let us love like that but in case anyone does feel like we're painting a picture of what amazing christian living looks like and you feel well i can't really always live up to that i do feel convicted i do feel a bit bad about this well, John gives us a third kind of symptom, a third outworking of what it's like when God is inside. And that is that with God living in us, we get a recurring case of assurance. We get recurring assurance. To show you this, I want to reflect for a moment on one of the most weird experiences I think you can have as an adult, especially in this country and probably in other countries too. Um, I recognize I, I didn't think that, I didn't know why Connect people would be in for this. And this is something that if you're in Why Connect, um, and you're still in school, you'll be able to look forward to this really, really weird thing happening. Because I think it's really weird as an adult when you meet your old school teachers, but when you're an adult. Why connectors? You've got that to look forward to. And that is weird. Um, maybe there's like 15 years between you. And when you're in school, that feels like a million years. But now you're, say, 35 and they're 50, and you relate to them like a peer. But they're your teacher. <laughs> and it's a really odd dynamic. But you, you know what's strange about that? Is that you can't help but call them sir. <laughs> you're talking to a peer-to-peer, adult-to-adult, and you just call them sir or miss, or Mr. Hughes, or Mrs. Evans. Because, you know, you don't relate to them in a silly way anymore. You know, it's, it's not a novelty to you to call them their first name. You're actually quite mature now. You don't want to mess them about, and you're respectful. So you call them Mr. Owen. But then that sounds really weird. <laughs> and that sounds like you are back in school again. Sounds like you are 15. That sounds the childish thing to do. And that's a really weird thing. You're in this position where your conscience tells you you can't really call them by their first name. 
because it's sir. But at the same time, there's something in you that knows that it is actually okay, because, you know, you're not in school anymore. Your position before them is now as a peer, and you can have confidence before them, but you just feel like you can't quite embrace that. Well, that is just a, a small reflection, my attempt at giving a small example of what John is talking about in much more profound and deep sense in verses 19 to 21. It's nothing like being a teacher. Uh, but John is still envisaging a, a situation where Christians come before God, and your conscience doesn't really allow you to feel okay. But you know there is something that makes it okay. Because we've seen in this whole passage that a Christian really is someone who's passed from death to life. And that's because Jesus has done a work for them. And that's done. So you're a Christian, you're saved, and you're fine. And a Christian does have eternal life in God. It's yours, it's yours, there's nothing to fear. And a Christian who's experienced Jesus' love for them. And so they have God's love in them. And there's evidence of that as we love one another. But John is right to notice, very pastoral to notice, that even that though that is true. There are times when you and I just, well, to use the language of the passage, we don't feel like our hearts are at rest in the presence of God. And that might be timidity, it might be a spirit of humility, but it may be that there has been something in your life that has begun to persuade you that you're not okay before God. Usually it's because you've done something. You've done something pretty bad. And your heart condemns you over it. And John is saying in verse 19, well, if that's you, this is how I want you to know that you do belong to the truth. And because of this, you can set your hearts at rest in his presence. This is how we really can come before God, even after we've messed up really badly. This is how we can soothe that unrest before God that our sin causes. He says, if our hearts do condemn us, if you feel like that, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And what he says matters more than what your heart feels. His verdict matters more. And he knows everything. <laughs> so he knew about this sin that you've committed. He, he knew about it. A long time ago, he knew about it even before your heart thought that that was a reason to worry before him. This chapter begins with John talking about, in verse 1, John talking about the love that God has lavished on us, that we can be called his children. And in verse 20, I think John is just giving us a gentle nudge to say, you know, that is still true. God didn't make you his child, and then all of a sudden you've caught him by surprise because <laughs> you've done something. Because do you, you do know that God knows everything, Right? So whatever you've done was included when Jesus died for you. We do know that God is greater than our hearts. And your heart isn't quite picking that up right. God is greater than our hearts and he does know everything. And he hasn't been calling you a failure. He's been calling you family. And so says John, this is how we set our hearts at rest. If our hearts condemn us, well, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. And what he said is that you are family, not a failure. 
But there's something even more comforting, I think, to follow. Because I think, actually, pretty much every Christian would probably put themselves in that, in that category. The category of saying, yes, I, I do feel, I know I've messed up before God. You know, I do come to him like that. We all come to God on those terms that we say, yes, I trusted in Jesus, but I have messed up again. And so we need this tender assurance that your failure didn't mess it all up. And I do thank God that that assurance is here. But I would love for you to be able to take recurring assurance from what follows. Because John seems to think that some Christians will find themselves in a position in verse 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. Well, whose heart doesn't condemn them? But I think John is saying, well, you don't have to feel like your heart condemns you all the time. John says we are real about sin, and no one's pretending that we don't have sin. Just look at chapter 1. He says that. We are real about sin. We confess it to one another. We talk about it. No one's going to pretend that I don't have sin, but I do want you to be able to step into the confidence that knowing God and knowing God is greater than our hearts brings you. So look at verse 23. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he's commanded us. And we can take confidence when we do that. Let me just correct something that might be stuck in your thinking if you've been a Christian for, for quite a long time. If you're familiar with gospel presentations or you've read a lot of the New Testament, you might know that the other New Testament writers often talk about keeping God's commands in such a way that... that they're envisaging that there's a demand that you have to keep all of God's law, and if you just break one bit of God's law, then you've broken all of it. So think of it like a chain. Only one link in the chain is broken, but the chain is broken. Well, that is true in the sense in which they're talking about it. And it is true that without Jesus and without his spirit, we are hopeless because of what we've done to break all of God's commands. But John... I don't think here he's talking about Christians who need to, who are required to obey all of God's commands all the time. I wonder if he's thinking about it like this. Do you remember that time that you loved that person in your church family? Do you remember that time you had them over for Christmas when they were struggling? Do you remember that time that you gave a lift to all those people to take them home and it made you dead late to bed? Do you remember that time that you took a phone call late at night to that person who is in tears? Do you know that you did that? You, you loved them because Jesus' love is in you? And do you see that by doing that, you obeyed his command? So do you see that there's evidence there that you have, verse 23, believed in the name of his son and loved one another as he commanded us, and so your hearts are not condemned, and so you can step into this confidence. Just with mentioning that's not the same as pride, Pride would be to say, I've achieved something. No, John is clear all the time. Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. Jesus forgives you. And it's Jesus' spirit who's changing you. You didn't achieve anything. Don't look on what you've done with pride. But look at the evidence in your life that God's spirit is in you. And your heart isn't condemned. Use that evidence to, to enable you to step into the confidence that you really are a child of God. I'm going to be at the stage soon um, of help, helping our eldest ride a bike. 
I'm not sure how it will work, but you've probably seen how it works on TV, that mum or dad holds the back of the bike and kind of pushes them along, and the little one pedals, and, and the little one is, is excited because they think they're doing it all, and, and I'll be there saying, well, well done, look, you're doing it, and they're pedaling, and they're saying, look, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and the plan isn't to say to, to, to my child, okay, let's think about all the ways that you got that wrong. <laughs> you, you know, you do know that I was like right behind you holding you there, so you, know, you weren't really doing anything wrong. But the plan is to say, I see evidence that that it's coming together. Yes, I'm pushing you. Yes, it's all about, it's, it's all me. But, but I want you to have confidence that what I'm leading you into, you are doing. And I want us to have confidence that our heart needn't condemn us. Confidence that you believe in the name of the Son God sent, Jesus, and that you obey his commands. And so I want you to set your hearts at rest in God's presence. If your heart condemns you, God doesn't. You're still his child if you believe in Jesus. But please step into that confidence that wherever you see the Holy Spirit of God guiding you into more and more love, that is evidence that he's in you. Step into that confidence. Look what he's doing in you. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them means God's living in you. And that's the point. And John's saying this all along. God has done something deep down in your heart. You wouldn't be able to see it, but you can spot the signs. This is how we know. You experience a loss of hate, a wide open heart, and bouts of recurring assurance. So set your heart at rest and step into the confidence of a dearly loved child of the Father, loved by Jesus, and assured by his spirit working in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, you encourage us in this passage. Thank you that we um, come away knowing what our life should look like as we love one another, but not feeling... Um, not feeling really, really um, condemned for where we failed, but knowing that you've, you've covered us, you've sent Jesus, we believe in him, and knowing that therefore you are inviting us into a life where love is inevitable, you open our hearts wide to one another. Lord, we want us to see that in our life, we want to see our lives um, living like that, we want to see something like that. We want to see that love expressed in our lives. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to do that where we have to go ahead and make the effort. But Lord, thank you that you are doing that as a father encourages his dear children. And thank you that we all get to go away from this, thinking what love the Father has shown us, that we can be called children of God, and that is what we are. Thank you that you tell us this is how we know. Thank you that you've loved us. Thank you that you are inside. And your spirit in us gives us evidence that we have nothing to fear. Amen.